came from out of the wilderness. He came to Nazareth, where he had been reared. And as he always did on the Sabbath, he went to the meeting place. When he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. He sent me to announce pardon to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. He set the burden and the battered free to announce this is God's year to act. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the assistant, and sat down. And every eye in the place was on him, intent. Then he started. You've just heard scripture make history. It just came true here and now in this place. That's how Jesus began his ministry. His first words as he came out of the wilderness, having been tempted by the devil. Book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, takes the story on from this point and says this. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew's interesting. He's Jewish. So he doesn't want to say God. And many Jews use the word heaven as a replacement for God. If you look at the Gospels, the other three Gospels use God. Matthew used heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. It's coming. And this is how he starts his ministry. And before we even head down the Sermon of the Mount, we cannot start that without looking at this one line. <clears throat> what does it mean? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. What does that mean? I would say most of us may not actually really know what that means. Yet this is central central to everything that is Jesus and his message. It's central to all that we believe in. But what does it actually mean? We've seen how people act out what they believe. Is the kingdom of God coming? Or what we should be or shouldn't be doing? Or what we should be pushing or not pushing? But here in this one line, repent kingdom of heaven is near. Who is he talking to? Who is he talking to? Us. Well, right there, right on those pages, who is he speaking to? Is he speaking to the Romans? No, not at all. He's speaking to the Jews. 
speaking straight to the Jews. People, you should know better. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But what would that have meant to the Jews? What would kingdom of heaven mean to them? What would the coming of the kingdom of God mean to them? You see, we forget because today we don't necessarily have kingdoms, do we? I mean, we have countries and powers and, and all that kind of stuff. But kingdom's kind of an old-fashioned word, right? But back in those days, Jesus grew up in a land, in a, in a world full of kingdoms. The kingdom of the Romans had taken over just 60 years before he was born. And they came and they took over his land. He lived under their rule. Pre previous to that, it was the Greeks. Previous to that, it was the Babylonians. Previous to that, it was the Persians, or actually Persians, then Babylonians, and then the Assyrians. And there's just been kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. And the Jews were hanging out, holding in hope for this kingdom of God to finally arrive. And he, Jesus uses this language, this verse, this, this moment to say, it's really near now, it's coming. But he starts it off with this word, repent. What did it mean for them to see the kingdom of heaven? Well, for them, it wasn't just a change in ruling. You know, we get rid of the Romans so God could rule. It was far deeper than that. They held the promise that God wouldn't just rule Israel. God would rule the world. That God was to be sovereign over all things. They prayed for it. They followed it. They hoped for it. And many of them died for it. This kingdom that was coming. And many of them were itching to make it happen. Many of them were, were, were biting at trying to overthrow so that this kingdom could come. And here is where this word, repent, takes shape. This word repent, because we think of repent today as something as personal, something that's about us and our journey with you know, God and we've sinned and so we need to turn away from our sin. But in Judaism and even in Christianity today, repent is far deeper than just acknowledging what's going on inside of you. It's an action word. It means literally to turn around from the direction you're going. Detour yourself, turn back, turn away from what the direction you're going. And hear Jesus coming to his fellow brothers and sisters and he says to them, turn back, turn away, turn around. You're going in the wrong direction. Because the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's really near. And it will hit, and you will miss it. There's a warning here. Turn around. Turn away from the revolution. Turn away from resisting the occupying forces and leading a takeover of power. This is not what the kingdom of heaven is about. Turn away from that. There is no coincidence that Jesus quotes from Isaiah when he talks about 
a light coming in the darkness. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Let me just ask you, are these words any different for us today? Sometimes we have the knack of taking scripture out of context. But boy, is there ever a time when I read in context how much more it means for us today. Repent. And this warning, repent. It's interesting because they didn't. And because they didn't turn away, and because they went after the takeover, and because they wanted to take over power, because they were itching to see this kingdom come, what happened? <coughs> Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And they still went at it. And 30 or 40 years after that, the Romans came and expelled them from the land completely. So that for 2,000 years, the Israelites, 1900, lived in the wilderness away from the land that God had given them. That's how important these words were for the people then. How much more are they important for us today? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What does it mean now for us? What did Jesus bring? What was this revolution, this change, this new ownership, sovereignty of our earth? Who, what, what's he bringing to us? He's turning us back to God's peace to God's healing, to God's forgiveness, writing a new covenant in his blood, calling us to turn back to God. And this turned the world upside down back then, and still today turns the world upside down. But sometimes it needs for us as his followers, to be reminded of this. That trying to assert power is not the way and not the Jesus way. I was doing a cell leadership seminar yesterday for a, for a church. I had a group of about 20 leaders there. And I haven't got the screens up there for it, but anyone know what the Nike symbol is? Do you know what it means? The tick and the name. Yes, but what does it mean? Anyone know? Who knows they're Greek here? No one knows they're Greek? Thank you. That's my daughter, by the way. Nike means victory. Their symbol is one of success. Their goal as a company, as an organization, is to take over and represent all the major sports teams in the world that are the best. So that their symbol can be portrayed on their jerseys. 
apple symbol. It's just a plain old apple. Who knew an apple could look so good? Huh? When you think of somebody like most movies now, you don't see them opening up a plain old, you know, HP laptop. The cool people have a MacBook, right? And everyone, I mean, whether you like Mac or not, okay, let's just put that aside for a moment. But there's this sense that, oh, they must be good. That looks great. Right? Because their brand, the core of their brand is one word, smart. Right? Now, whether you agree with it or not, they've made a name. What about McDonald's? The golden arches. I don't know how you guys were kids, but every time we drove past the McDonald's, dad, 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 you know. <laughs> no matter what, McDonald's goal in life is to make you happy. So they can sell more burgers and fries and their, their kids' meal is called a what? And their main goal, their main purpose as an organization is pleasure. Anyone know the symbol for Mercedes-Benz? Three-pointer style, it's precision. And whether you like the car or not, you see one, you assume that's a good car. Right? I've got a TV out of Echo at the moment. It doesn't sound like precision to me. It denotes wealth, it denotes precision, engineering acumen. And that is their actual goal as a, an organization, precision. What's the symbol of Christianity? What does that denote? Death, sacrifice, love. What do we follow? What do we wear on our hearts? Not the apple, not the golden arches, but the cross. We don't even have that little Mercedes-Benz thing. We have the cross. And when Christ challenges us, going back, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's calling us back to God. And at the end of his ministry, he will leave us with an enduring symbol of who we are and who we follow. So I want to challenge you this morning. Get away from the idea that we can change the world through power or policy, forcing people into some sort of box. What changes people is love through the power of the Holy Spirit, conviction, that we can't do this on our own and hope that life that doesn't just end with death, but begins with death, spiritual and physical. Repent. Change your direction. Turn around for the kingdom of God has come near and is here now. That, my friends, is the most powerful message we can share with those around us. The most powerful message. 2,000 years 
And it is still, still, still so powerful today. What do you wear in your heart? Who reigns in your heart? May it be the cross, a symbol of the love the Father in heaven has for you. That his son, Jesus Christ, gave his life for you. When he could have called down a thousand angels in that moment and blown everybody away, instead he chose to be humiliated for you, to die for you. Alone. And how powerful, how powerful it is. His blood. Take a moment now, just now for the music team to come up. Just take a moment to close your eyes. And I don't know what symbols you're carrying on your heart this morning. I don't know what what things are there that might need to be purged to allow the cross to govern wholly and completely in your lives. But there's a reason why Jesus came to his people first before going out to the world. Because it starts with us. His final prayer was that we may be one, just as he and the Father are. What we've shown in the world today is that most times we're not one. Father God, I pray as your people here and now in this place I pray that the cross may reign in our lives not that it be a symbol left at church on a Sunday as we go about our own lives, but it be living in our hearts today, tomorrow, next week, this year. And that people may see your glory through us. Father God, Thank you.